Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this hump day and a rather sultry one out there it is. A little warmish. So how was your uh, couple of days off there? Oh, it was excellent. I completely unplugged, muted all the political buzzwords, and read a book. It was a weird book, but uh, apparently it's a very impactful book on the uh, genre of sci-fi and the subgenre of cyberpunk. It was called huh? Neuromancer. Say that again? Neuromancer by a guy named Gibson. <laughs> it was written in the 80s. It was uh, It and Blade Runner were a big influence on sci-fi. Do remember that, yeah. Big time, for sure. It well, was interesting reading through it, and you see these words that are now commonplace somewhere else. Like they, they all log into this virtual reality called the Matrix. Well, this is long before they ever made the movie The Matrix. Hmm. And there's an interesting scene. I think it's towards the beginning of it, where it talks about looking up at the sky, and the sky is the same color as a TV tuned to a dead channel, which. I'm presuming at the time it's <laughs> static, but since then that has changed. Yeah. Like you turn tune a dead TV or TV to a dead channel now, you get the blue screen or the blank screen. Yeah. So it's just it's one of those things where when it was written it meant one thing and now when you read it if you don't have any context it would mean something else. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that was rather visionary. I mean, that was kind of ahead of its time. Oh yeah. I would say. That subject matter for sure. Speaking of ahead of its time, I guess you could kind of relate this to that. Microsoft had quite the day yesterday. The stock up 15 bucks. And that's because it announced that it is embedding its AI tool called Copilot, Microsoft 365 Copilot. It's an AI-based productivity tool in its uh, office suite, its office products, 30 bucks a month for each user who wishes to leverage the tool, the Copilot tool, 30 bucks a month per user. So its stock surged. I think it reached uh, what 359 and 49 cents is um, 
where it closed earlier in the session, it actually got to 366, an all-time high for the issue. I think that, if I did the math right, produced about $500 billion of market cap value, and that uh, advanced the increased the total market cap to just under $3 trillion. $2.9 trillion is where it sits. It's kind of fascinating to watch all that. The market just seems to be just all up in a tizzy about anything that's got AI in it, right? Kind of like they did Internet back in the 90s. And, well, at least the uh, ones that are still around did. Well, that's true. I mean, in the 90s, you did have people going, what's this A with a circle around it? <laughs> what is? What are these internets? That's yeah, true. That's very true. It's uh, kind of an unknown, and, and a lot of companies did uh, come and go. Uh, some are still around. Did quite well. But, you know, the big tech of micro- Microsoft now announcing, yeah, we're, we're all into this AI stuff. And a lot of investors that were buying sort of specific AI-related stocks now see that, such as C3 AI as an example, which just pretty much focuses on development of AI software and tools. And a lot of people said, you know, I'm going to play it through uh, NVIDIA, for example, which makes chips, uh, the chipsets that have some embedded uh, functionality in the chips, optimizing AI. Microsoft says, "Okay, here's our here's our offering in this Copilot uh, add-on plug-in to our Office suite. Thirty bucks a month, please, per user for that." So the stock had one heck of a day. As a result, it's pulling back a little bit today, like just down a few pennies. But that's to be expected in the wake of a huge run-up yesterday. Profit-taking is how the investment community terms that going on. It's just interesting to watch this, in my view. Uh, So this is kind of a monetization, if you will. Barron's reports that Microsoft says they could uh, generate incremental revenue of up to $100 billion. That's quite a bit for a company that's sitting on about, what, $275 billion run rate. You're talking about 40% increase, 40 45% increase in revenue, top-line revenue. Fascinating uh, to watch all this unfold. A lot of people have, you know, mixed emotions about this advent of artificial intelligence. I kind of see it as... Is a cheap way to acquire human expertise. This is one way to look at it. And like any novel technology, there are positive aspects of it, positive uh, uh, value that can be produced from AI. There's also a negative side as well. I found it funny seeing the artistic side of artificial intelligence starting to eat itself. How's that? Because... When it first came about, you could type in a series of words as a prompt, and the AI would scrawl across the Internet and find images that it thought matched that prompt and Frankenstein it together into an AI-generated image. And it got pretty good at that, except for certain fine features like teeth and eyes and hands, especially when dealing with humans. 
But when it came to landscapes or abstract art or, or something like that, it did a pretty good job. Until there was an explosion of AI-generated images being posted to the Internet that's now in the net that's being cast by the AI. So it's kind of like making a copy of a copy of a copy and it starts <laughs> to lose fidelity. You're seeing a lot of AI prompts, especially in the art realm, where even you can go as, as granular as you want to in the prompt. It's still going to spit out something wonky because it's a copy of a copy of a copy. It's an AI image produced from an AI image produced from an AI image, and it's gotten so far away from something humans made that it's starting to look a little weird. Yeah. Uh, well, that's all. This is the risk, of course. This this is the the um, the downside, if you will, of any sort of novel technology like this. But I personally believe that the the positive benefits society uh, will receive from artificial it presently is. It's just really starting to get more pervasive. I think, and the generative AI tools really are easy to use, easy to acquire. And a lot of people are using them. I had a friend that sent me an example. He's um, he's up in New York. I may have shared this, but that's fine. It's kind of an, an interesting story. He is the head of the IEEE Association. That's the electrical, the global electrical engineering uh, trade association. And uh, he, he sent me. He's, he has a child that's graduating from high school, and is looking at various colleges to attend, Carnegie Mellon being one of them. And just for the heck of it, he entered a prompt into uh, the chat GPT tool, said, write a college essay, as you have to typically provide as part of your application to uh, certain universities. Write an essay for a graduating senior who's a member of the Amish community, but is a devout Marxist, and how their principles might align with the mission and values of Carnegie Mellon. <laughs> and it was just so serious, I believe, my, my Marxist leanings and Amish experience align perfectly with the mission and values of Carnegie Mellon. It just goes to show you the power of the tool and and of course, it, as you've said, it crawls the internet and and uh, scours all the various content that it's been drained on, and punches out <laughs> this essay. Oh gosh, a Marxist Amish? How about that? <laughs> I mean, they do have that period of time in their young adult life where they do get to leave the community and experience the world, and then it's their choice to either stay out in the world or come back to the community. Right. Yeah, there was a there was a series on one of the uh, one of the networks for a while, Breaking Amish. You remember that? Oh yeah, that was kind of fascinating, and that's exactly what you're talking about. Where they went out and I don't know. Of course, it it got to be kind of dramatic and a little salacious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like any reality show, there's going to be in the credits writers, which means it's not really reality. <laughs> We're in the Element Well Studio. We've got Congressman Mike Ezel joining us at 11:05. Give us an update, Will the Congressman, on the National Defense Authorization Act that was just passed by the House last week, and then Don McVeigh. With the National Federation of Independent Small Businesses. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. 
Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. good friend Fred Shanks, Representative Fred Shanks. That's for him. He loves that song. Always texts me whenever he hears it. <laughs> Speaking of representatives, what about the Neshoba County Fair? That's where we shall transport the Element Well Studio next week, Wednesday and Thursday. I'm told, you know, there are 12 segments, as you know, in the three hours that we are on the air. I'm told we might have 12 interviews, 12 guests. How about that? I'm going to be, be busy. I'm going to be worn out. I'm going to need to go park in somebody's cabin over there in the air conditioning <laughs> after interviewing. It'll be about perfect time when middays gets off the air. That's usually about the time people take a nap. That's true. That's absolutely true. I look forward to it. It's going to be a fantastic event this year, especially with state elections right around the corner, inside now. The three-week mark, August the 8th, we go to the polls. Uh, yesterday, I had pointed out that the date to register to vote in the primary has passed, but Representative Price Wallace texted in and said, that's true, Gerard, but you could still register to vote in the runoff, which is scheduled, should we have any runoffs, it's scheduled August the 29th. So besides electing our statewide and our uh, leaders and our members of our legislature. we got a number of local races going on as well, right? we got some of that stuff. Supervisors and sheriffs and the like. Constables. Maybe um, a tax collector or two. I think we have tax collectors and, and um, yeah, so we got all that stuff going on. So you could have some runoffs in those races. Right? Where they are party affiliated. It's not very likely, but it's a possibility. It's a possibility. Nonetheless, get out there and register and vote. And by the way, if you're at the fair next week, come by and see us. You can't miss us. We're under the Super Talk tent, not too far from the pavilion in the center of Founder Square there. That's where all the candidates get up on stage and tell the good people about themselves and what they're going to do if they get elected. Well, we hope they tell us. Sometimes they only tell us what they did. I always have a little issue with that. I don't. I get it. You could do about two minutes of that. I want to know what you're going to do going forward. I think that's what's on the minds of most Mississippians. How do we move Mississippi forward? Although I'd rather hear about what a candidate has done than about what a candidate's opponent has done. Now, I'm with you on that. I have said before, we learn more about candidates from their opponents than we do themselves. You agree with that? Oh, yeah. Especially in a contentious primary race. We're hearing from candidate for governor as a Democrat, Brandon Presley, virtually daily. He'll tell you about Tate Reeves. <laughs> and the governor, you know, what I see him doing is talking about various 
economic development successes, and I applaud him for that. I've said many times the the path to to uh, addressing our most critical needs always runs through boosting our economy, growing our economy. He he gets that. He's focused on that. On on the other hand, we've got Brandon Presley who focuses on what he deems as Tate Reeves' failure because of the various issues we have in our in the healthcare sector in our state. No doubt we've got serious issues there, but laying that at the feet of the governor, I think it's a bit of a stretch at a minimum. There's certainly some structural problems, but they're not all the responsibility of government. But you know solve. he's serious because he cut a car in half. Huh? That's one of the latest Brandon Presley ads is him with a Sawzall cutting a car in half. What's that about? Something about cutting car tag fees. Oh, oh, right. That's right. We discussed that, but we've yet to determine exactly what he's talking about because the state portion of the car tag fee is is fairly minimum. And so we're talking about a small amount of the fee, cutting that in half. Remember, that was discussed in one of the iterations of the tax elimination bill in the 2022 session, after the first one that passed the House got kicked back from the Senate and and the House received lots of feedback from citizens that said, hey, what about them car tags? And they came back and tried to give them something, and that was cutting, I want to say, either the total amount of the state car tag portion of the fee or half of it, which is a minimal amount, because most of those fees, those revenues, go to the state, uh, pardon me, the county and the city. That's where they get their money. That, along with uh, sales tax diversions, we pay 7% sales tax, that gets sent to the state, 18% change of that gets diverted back to the municipality where the transaction occurred. And then they receive taxes, property taxes, which includes your vehicle, ad valorem taxes, and of course, real property, physical property, building structures, land, etc. So I'm not sure what he's talking about. I know that's a populist item, but I'm curious to know what the math looks like there. Because the governor and the legislature has some limited control and power over the millage rates set at the county level for car tax. That's a big deal. They're higher here in, in central Mississippi higher in Hines County, for example, than they are in Madison County, and Rankin, I believe. People that move out of Hines into one of those counties, it's one of the first things they notice, that their car tax went down. Wait, 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 wait. You're telling me a politician has made a campaign promise with little to no idea of how they'll actually (laughs) do it? Oh, I know, it's shocking, right? And it's uh, let's be honest, it's happening on the Republican side as well. That's why I said politician. Okay, You're generic. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Well, we, we're going to certainly ask exactly what they're talking about when we when we have the opportunity to interview these candidates on the program. Here, we we believe they should should reveal more specifics about their plan to the people. It's one thing to say, hey, I'm going to do this, that, and the other. But when you really drill down into the details of that, it's quite a different story. 
a little bit more difficult to achieve. Meantime, up there in Washington, every time our president speaks, of course, there's always something remarkable about his delivery that I find disturbing just because he's the commander-in-chief. But, man, it just seems like it's worsening. And I, I wonder if this isn't going to culminate in something that will just see that he's pulled out of the race for president in the next cycle. But yesterday he was meeting with the Israeli president there in the White House, and it was just classic sort of Joe Biden. Here you go. And we brought Israelis and Palestinians together at a political level, and they and as I uh, affirmed the Prime Minister. I mean, again, he's 80 years old. He, uh, I, I don't mean to take personal shots at him. I, I, I share this with the audience because I think it's important, if you didn't catch it, that this is the president. And this is a concern. If, and if you view, as you did the video, you notice his head is focused down on his lap. Apparently he's got some paper there. I guess that's his guide, what he's supposed to say and not say, do and not do. Although it looks like he has his eyes closed. I agree. Like he's like falling asleep while he's talking. I observe the same. It is a shot from the side. He's not looking directly at the camera. But you kind of can see that uh, just looking closely at his eyes, that looks like the, the lids are pretty close to, together. So I agree with you. It's, and when he starts mumbling, the Israeli president looks at him and then looks at the crowd and then looks at him. He looks concerned. Yeah. I, I agree. And again, I, I just expose this because I think we should all know this is our president, and it's... We should be concerned that uh, this guy ultimately is in charge. I know a lot of people say he's really not in charge. He's, he's being controlled by others. Well, that's not good either. So, uh, because that's not who we elected. Seeking input from a circle of smart people? Sure. That's a, a mark of a good leader. But at the end of the day, you got to make the tough decisions, and you got to have some own personal thoughts and vision and ideas, uh, it just doesn't look like that he's capable at that at this point. I, I'm now at the point, Rhino, I don't think he's going to be the nominee. I, I don't. I know we got some time until then. A little 25 or 6 to 4 by Chicago bumping us out. We're coming right back. Congressman Mike Ezel at 11.05. Stay with us. the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back everyone to Middays live from the Element Wealth Studio. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, 
and guarantees. I caught a little bit of the show, the Element Wealth show this morning uh, that aired between the Gallo show. It airs, I believe, locally, if I'm not mistaken, Rhino, between the Gallo show and our show. And it's pretty good because it's it's um, people that are calling in, sending in questions. There's kind of a moderator along with Jeremy Nelson. has been on the show many times. And it's it's real-life, real-world situations. And and he gives some, uh, you know, advice on how to handle that. A lot of people, of course, approaching retirement, various questions about how to deal with their uh, their savings and uh, for retirement, uh, when they should file for Social Security, etc. So it's good stuff. Tune in. Also, I wanted to uh, follow up from something we were sent yesterday, Rhino, from the mayor of Manti, Mississippi. Uh, Mary Margaret Williams just wanted us to announce that they are having uh, a speaking event at Manti on Saturday, July 22nd, 11 a.m., with the National Anthem. And then all candidates, statewide, district, and local candidates are welcome. That's uh, 11 a.m., July 22nd, coming up this Saturday. Food vendors and other vendors will be there as well along with some singing. So just want to get that out there, because people need to know about these candidates and where they stand on the issues in advance of uh, voting in the primary on August the 8th. Of course, we'll hear from them next week as we're at the Neshoba County Fair. You're starting to see the mud come out. Lots of mudslinging going on, especially in that lieutenant governor's race. You seen that? Man, off the chart mudslinging. I suspect that will only intensify as we get closer, draw nearer to the election. Really fascinating to watch all that. None of that, in my view, really addresses our most pressing issues. I'd like to see more discussion of that, and hopefully... We can elicit that from the candidates as they come on the program uh, next week when we're at Neshoba. Shaq Bully in Biloxi says, continuing our conversation from Monday regarding health insurance, as an employer purchasing group health insurance, is the deciding factor what your cost is or what the quality of the coverage, the benefits are? Uh, the answer, Shaq Bully, is both. I mean, you have to weigh out both. It's a good question, and I have been through that exercise as an employer numerous times through the years, especially as we added companies to our platform in other states. Then you've got to be a little more careful because uh, you've got to be concerned about the coverage or consider the coverage in their communities. Yeah, so it's uh, not an easy exercise for sure. Uh, I guess that there are certainly options, but they're uh, somewhat limited when you look at large groups. I'll just put it that way. I, I would say, honestly, Shaq Bully, this is probably one of the biggest deciding factors in selecting a partner to provide group coverage, group health coverage. That is the network that the provider network that the insurer offers. Now, why is that important? Because when you go to the doctor, if that 
particular provider is in the network for that insurer that writes your coverage, in general, that means, A, you're going to get discounts, you're going to have some different application of any co-pays and co-insurance sometimes, and probably the most important factor is that if they accept your insurance, then they file it on your behalf, and then they get paid by the insurer. If they're not in your network, often what that means is that you've got to pay when the services are rendered, and then you can file for reimbursement with your carrier, and there's a delay. So that's probably one of the biggest benefits is, is just that, when the, when the uh, providers are in the network that is managed by the carrier, then they accept your insurance uh, essentially in lieu of you paying for it out of pocket at the time of the encounter. And they will then wait. You'll get an, what's called an explanation of benefits in the mail. You've probably seen that. It says, look, you went to the doctor. Here's what they did for you. The services provided. The, the ICD codes sometimes are listed there. Uh, this is what we're paying. This is what it is. This is the discount because they're in our network. This is what we're going to pay. And this is your responsibility. Don't pay us, though. They'll send you a bill for that. Sometimes they'll write it off. You know, sometimes they'll discount the patient's responsibility. So all that is, however, a function of being in the network. I would say that's a big important aspect of selecting a carrier. And in most states, such as Mississippi, there's usually one dominant carrier that has the largest network. In Mississippi, it's Blue Cross Blue Shield. In neighboring Alabama, Tennessee, uh, Louisiana, same. It's, it happens to be the Blue Cross Blue Shield organizations in those states that typically dominate uh, the, the, uh, the coverage sold in those states and also the, uh, have the largest provider networks. So hope that helped out a little bit. And again, I'm, I'm no expert on this, Shaq Bully, other than I've just experienced it. I've been through it. So, you know, you want to consult people that are in the industry and talk to them about it and weigh the options and the pros and cons, but having gone through that decision-making process on a more institutional level, especially when you're dealing with, as I was, board members that, that um, of course, sold their companies into our platform that were in other states, you had to be concerned about that. So, yes, yeah, not uh, a fun process, but something you got to do. It's really, really important. Mailman Clayton says, as far as Joe Biden, he's become truly pitiful. If you didn't catch the sound Rhino played for us a minute ago, this was yesterday, a meeting with the Prime Minister of Israel, and it's at, it's at the Oval Office there, Rhino, I think, where they're in the chairs that are kind of placed at an angle, so, yeah. angle to the, to the uh, fireplace yeah, right there the fireplace in the, the center. And so it's like, you know, two leaders just having a little uh, conversation there in the living room, so to speak. Pretty typical um, setup for meetings with our president and state leaders like that. And it's just mumbling, incoherent noise coming out of his mouth, unfortunately, there toward the end. I'm not sure what the message was that he was trying to convey, honestly. I think something about how he had been instrumental in 
bringing, uh, I guess, relieving some of the tensions, probably a better way to put it, between Israel and the Palestinian states. And I think that's what he was trying to say, but it was a bit incoherent. Ben from Madison says, I'm sure Newsom was drooling at the mouth watching that clip. I assume he'll be the nominee if Biden drops out. Kamala is too cringy, even for Dems. I'm thinking the same thing, Ben. I really am. I think that, that Newsom's just... He's, um, you know, kind of silently celebrating every time he sees these, these gaffes, these foul-ups, these incidents like this, because he knows that the majority of Democrats in this country, they too have concerns. They have concerns about mainly his ability to win. That's what they're concerned about, and that they would have a candidate that between now and November of 24, he just continues to slide downhill and uh, that that all important independent vote just says I can't do it. You know, I'm I'm maybe I'm not a big Trump fan. Assuming Trump is the nominee on the Republican side, that certainly looks like it at this point based on the polls. Uh, but they may have some reluctance there. But I think at the end of the day, they see Biden and his his uh, really just frailness. It just concerns them. And they can't do it. But the Democrats do have a difficult task if they are going to work around Kamala to put Newsom in that spot because, well, Kamala was picked for being a woman of color. And as VP, it would be her turn. Right. So how do you make that work in the minds of Democrat voters that you've now set aside a woman of color for Lily White, Gavin Newsom. Yep. And that's, that's of course, going to be a controversial issue. You've got to wonder, are there some Democrats who want Kamala to be the president, the nominee at a minimum? Or are they going to start playing the race card here? Wow, won't that be fun to watch when you've got Democrats arguing among themselves about race? Oh, pitting brother and sister against brother and sister. Of course, we can't say that anymore, right? I mean, there's, you can't just assume it's just brothers and sisters. You know that. There's like 64 genders or something like that. And <laughs> we're stepping aside for a break. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Going to dig into health care a little bit. Stay with us. With Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. in the Element Well studio. It is middays. We've got Congressman Mike Ezel coming up at 11.05. Don McVeigh, the director of the National Federation of Independent Small Business for Mississippi and Louisiana, will join middays at 12.20. Rhett and Ridgeland on the ceasefire text line says, I have to say I don't like Delbert making any crime claims. I think he's referring to the ad that's uh, airing uh, just a minute ago, I heard it uh, on the show here. 
And he talks about his accomplishments and his anti-crime stance in the ad. Um, If the mass is right, not sure what he means by that, the mass. What do you mean, Rhett, mass? What What do you mean, math? Oh, math. Thank you. Appreciate that. Got you. And I understand sometimes when you text stuff like that. Jackson was the murder capital of the United States while Delbert had an office there in Jackson. The Jackson crime problem is so nuanced and complex that it is not something that one office can really affect. I, I agree in that, Red. There, there's some limits, some constraints on how state leaders could address the crime problem. Certainly funding of prosecutors is, uh, is, is one way. Uh, the judicial districts potentially another way. You saw action on the part of our legislature this year to create the Capital Complex Improvement District, which would change the way the city of Jackson, much of it is patrolled, which would incorporate the Capitol Police in that effort as well, and also the way that judges would be assigned to try to break the logjam of cases. But that's, of course, received fairly strong challenge in court, and that hasn't been resolved yet. But but I, I understand, I agree. I think the message is, in fairness to the lieutenant governor, he just wants to convey that he's pro-law enforcement, he's anti-crime. Um, I, I, but I, so do most candidates, let's be honest. So, but I agree with you that most of that is handled at the municipal level, there's no doubt. And, and there seems to be a failure. If you look at the city of Jackson, you're right. The math doesn't lie. There seems to be a failure. I know it's grossly understaffed. There's no jail in the city of Jackson. There, there is a physical building that's got jail cells in it. It was built for that purpose, but it's not staffed. It's not utilized. My understanding is that, that uh, the Hines County facility down in Raymond is used. Uh, let's see, Mo says, I'd still love to see Biden, Harris, and Fetterman on the same stage. While embarrassing, it would be hilarious. Yeah, she's she's been just filling up the airwaves with word salad again. It is kind of um, <laughs> disturbing as well. Uh, there's something else that somebody sent me um, a minute ago. Just wanted to pass this on. I'm looking for it. Uh, and it was just a bunch of, yeah, push cards Adam and Baldwin sent. I guess he's receiving these in the mail, and this would be from the Hoseman campaign. I've received these as well at my house, uh, Adam. And, you know, I'm not sure who necessarily, you'd have to look at the cards, who is funding those campaigns, but it's just a typical campaign mailer that's, that uh, I see one here that's really uh, slinging mud at the opponent, Chris McDaniel. The other is uh, the, the headline on the card, 100% pro-life, the big font. Delbert Hoseman delivers on pro-life, pro-family policy with some bullet points there, and that he's been endorsed by the Mississippi Right to Life. So, yeah, that's understandable that that would be sent out 
is a mass mailer, and then, of course, the other one is uh, more of a mudslinging card against uh, Chris McDaniel. I'm not sure if we're going to see any of those. I haven't seen any of those that I'm aware of from the McDaniel campaign in my mailbox yet. And, you know, some of that may just be a function of uh, cash available to make those kinds of investments. We reported on that last week when the candidates uh, were required to file their financial statements. And as I recall, the lieutenant governor had about $3.5 million in his account, and challenger Chris McDaniel, Senator Chris McDaniel, had about 350000 somewhere. It was, it was roughly 10x was the difference in the candidates. And when you get closer to Election Day, that's when you really start to see how that plays out. You got money to send mailers out and run lots of ads uh, on the media, etc. It just takes money to do that. That's the bottom line. But we have reached the end of Hour 1 on a middays in the Element Well studio. That means it is time for Fox News and Super Talk News. And when we return, it's Congressman Mike Ezel. Please stay with us. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday's Hour 2 of the program, live from the Element Well studio on this. Hump Day! And joining us now is Congressman Mike Ezel. He, of course, represents Mississippi's 4th Congressional District. Morning there, Congressman. Thanks for joining us. Hey, I think you got your mic muted there, Congressman. Check your mic there. I think you might be muted. Yeah, we don't have any audio yet. I see I'm working on it, though. Okay. So we're going to see if we can get reconnected to the congressman. We'll stand by for that. We're going to talk to him about the National Defense Authorization Act that was just passed last week. All but four Democrats voted against it. And the sticking point here, what's controversial... Once again, we talked about this yesterday, a couple of provisions. The abortion provision, which um, honestly stands out as a red line for most Democrats. They want the military to fund travel, not the abortion procedure itself, but travel for those which are those in the military service members who are stationed in states that have uh, very restrictive uh, abortion laws the military would fund their travel to a state that where they could get the uh, pro, uh, abortion procedure, taxpayers essentially would pay for that, which is uh, seems kind of crazy to me. And then the other is 
Um, gender affirmation care, they call it care, but uh, that would be, of course, sex change surgery for members of the military. That, too, is something that Democrats want to fund in this bill, which funds uh, the operation of the nation's Department of Defense. Let's see, we got the congressman now? I think we're here. Can hey, you hear me? Yes, sir, we got you. I, I was just kind of giving a, a high-level summary of the National uh, Defense Authorization Act. That, of course, is the legislation that funds our military. And uh, it passed last week, I believe, sir, just uh, on a very narrow margin, 219 to 210, all before Democrats voted against the measure. And the sticking point seems to be that there are provisions that would fund travel for a service member to have an abortion procedure. And the other are these, uh, these gender transition care surgeries and treatments that the taxpayer would fund that's embedded in this bill. It's what yeah. they wanted to embed. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. You know, we, we want to protect our war fighters. We want to protect our military. We want to strengthen the, uh, the ability for our men and women in uniform to do their jobs. And that's what I'm going to stand for every day and every night. And that's what I believe in is, you know, first and foremost, we've got to protect our men and women in uniform who are out there doing the job to protect this country. And paying for some of these things that I think are unnecessary spending is something I don't think we need to be doing. Yeah, it seems crazy. And, of course, I think over in the Senate, uh, Senator Tommy Tuberville has been holding up some of the appointments. At least they're, they're hanging him with that responsibility. Uh, yeah. be, because of, of all this wokeness, so-called wokeness, that's just uh, invaded our Department of Defense, it, it truly is crazy, Congressman. It is. And I'll tell you what, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, I, I, I kind of view things as uh, from a law enforcement perspective. My number one job as a law enforcement officer, whether I'm a sheriff or whether I'm a, a rookie patrolman, is to protect the public. And that's the way I feel about our men and women in uniform. And all these other things that seem to get, get thrown into them are take, making a distraction away from our number one priority, and that's to protect this country. Yeah. And that's the way I feel about it, and I'm going to fight this stuff every chance I get. So these amendments, uh, of course... Were, were inserted that would rescind this funding uh, for abortion and, and gender care. That's headed over to the Senate, but it doesn't look like it's going to pass in the Senate. It's going to survive in the Senate. What are you hearing? Somebody made a statement about the Senate over there, over there at the Senate graveyard. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we'll have to wear, everything we do, we send over there, and we're waiting on old Schumer. And, uh, you know, he's not going to get in no hurry about doing anything. And uh, but we're we're doing our job over here in the house, which I've been very proud of, uh, working hard over here every day. And uh, but sending it over there to the Senate Cemetery is uh, what seems to be going on these days. Yeah, sure does. It seems that seems to be the case. What else are you guys working on? Oh, something else I wanted to bring up was uh, I think there was a measure recently, if I'm not mistaken, about additional funding for Ukraine. And uh, right. I, I think you voted against that, maybe the uh, only one of our delegation that did. Is that correct? Yes, sir, that is correct. You know, and I'll tell you this, I, you know, I've been uh, able to get, you know, quite a bit of information. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I, I know that we need to stand up and we need to do what we need to do. But I, I just don't believe in writing a blank check 
for everything that's going on around the world. I think we need to have some accountability. The American people want to know where their tax dollars are being spent. And I think that that's the reason why I voted for it. I, I want to know what's going on. I want to make sure they understand that we're not just going to stamp, rubber stamp a check uh, to them. You know, I know we need to fight the Russians. Uh, you know, the Ukrainians need to fight the Russians, not right. us. Right. But, uh, and we need to help them as much as possible. They are actually doing a good job. But we just can't rubber stamp this money every time we turn around, sending more money. We've already sent $75 billion. Let's uh let's find out where exactly where every bit of that's going. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I will just want to pass this on to you, sir, is that I probably hear more about that issue uh in Mississippi from Mississippians who just believe that it's wrong for us to just keep piling more money into uh, this conflict, be it in assets or cash. I just want to pass that on, that I do think that's consistent. Right or wrong, it does seem to be consistent with uh, the Mississippians. Well, you know what? You know, just look at where we've been over the last, since, two, since 9-11. You know, we've been to Afghanistan. We've been to Iraq. We're all over the world. And so, you know, we... I. And, and it seems like every time when we, we get into one of these conflicts, you know, once we start deciding that we're coming home, uh, look, look at the disasters that have happened. And, uh, you know, I just want to make sure that, that, that we hold uh, uh, everybody accountable for the money that's being spent. There's so much money that's wasted on a daily basis around here in Washington. You know, it's always easy to spend somebody else's money. Uh, you know, that's, that's an easy thing to do. So let, I, want, I want to keep a close eye on this thing. Yeah. The GAO just reported uh, their findings revealed that there's some $247 billion of improper payments. That's not necessarily wasteful spending, just improper payments, just, just flaws in the systems that issue all these checks. That's insane. Oh, I, I know it. And, you know, it's just like so many of these government buildings that are uh, – empty right now and i've been on a committee hearing uh going over some of this kind of stuff that we're spending money there, there's no telling how much money we waste every day on empty government buildings and, and bureaucrats are not coming to work yeah, i mean it, it's, it's just ridiculous it's, they, there's so many of them they can't even figure it out but so, minor, uh, you know we, we got to get a handle on this and my understanding for people in washington sir is that there's cranes all over the place building more buildings is that is that I, true I'm telling you, yeah, there's a crane on top of this uh, building that I'm in right now. And I tell you what, I look at it when I come by here every morning, I was like, good grief, what are we doing now? So, oh, yeah, I'm telling you, there's some building going on up here, buddy. Oh, my gosh. Well, we got a couple of minutes left. What What's uh, next on the calendar there in the house? Well, i tell you this, we're, we're holding some hearings this week, and I got a, at 2 o'clock on uh, Homeland Security. There's so much waste going on down there at the at the border where, you know, there's just tons of Brand new steel has just been sitting down there that could be used as a border wall. It's already been paid for. These ranchers are down there. It's on their property, and it's just sitting there. And it's just millions of dollars of steel just sitting there wasting away. So uh, we've been putting the hammer on up on Homeland Security uh, Committee on that, trying to get some answers on that kind of stuff, trying to figure out what we can do with this material. Let's get that wall going so that we can protect this country. Yeah, and of course you got whistleblower from the IRS yeah. still testifying to Congress. There, that just thing looks so dirty, and it just oh, yeah. feels like that uh, the DOJ just doesn't have any interest or the FBI in pursuing Joe Biden and the Biden family. 
Well, that's pretty obvious. I mean, we're seeing every day, and there's new revelations being brought to us every day. You know, judiciary is doing a great job. We're digging up as much as we can. You know, we just want the facts. Just tell the truth. Let's get the get the information over to judiciary so we can find out and make some honest assessments about what what the Bidens have been up to. Absolutely. Appreciate you joining us today, Congressman Mike Ezel. Take care, sir. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much. You got it. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, studio. All right, Rhino, you know anything about the Wildlife Foundation raffle? Oh, yeah, the Mississippi Wildlife Foundation conservation raffles going on right now. You can get your tickets for great prizes, all the while supporting wildlife conservation and outdoor recreation in the Magnolia State. Yep. All you got to do is visit the raffle website, MWFP dot foundationraffle.com for more info on where and how to purchase raffle tickets the tickets are twenty dollars and can only be purchased online ticket sales will end at the end of the month july 30th and the drawing will be on august 14th and you do not have to be present to win wow all righty that's pretty cool the wildlife foundation raffle on the ceasefire text line donald in oxford wants to know if we're going to find out if delbert has a wife in a nursing home oh that's brutal there of course that refers to the incident which occurred in the 2014 campaign for u.s senate that pitted uh, challenger chris mcdaniel against the longtime incumbent senator thad cochran and Involved a a bit of a scandal that uh, where an individual somehow got through inside a local nursing home where the senator's wife was housed and took some photos that oh got uh, widely distributed as you can imagine that ended up causing suicidal death of uh, someone who's stopped to be behind it. A guy named Mark Mayfield. I went to college with him, had classes with him. Lived in my neighborhood, as a matter of fact. Really sad deal, honestly. whole deal was the individual who took the photos was like some sort of technician or something from Pearl, as I recall. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Now, the senator, in fairness to him, when he was on the program... Uh, you know, there was never any direct connection made to him, honestly. And, and we would certainly hesitate to do that. And 
He says he's since reconciled with the Cochran family. Um, he said that on the interview here, and, and that uh, he regrets that that happened, that incident. So I don't honestly don't see that as an issue. I really don't. It could be. Some people still may kind of hold him somewhat responsible for it, or at least attach him to it. And it could be a factor, but I haven't heard it, honestly, is one. Gina Mendenhall says, being a mailman, I can tell you, no matter the candidate, customers do not like more than one mailer. He, of course, was talking about, yeah, he just sent us a photo as well, several have today, showing all these mailers going out. One is a negative mailer on uh, Chris McDaniel being sent by the Hoseman campaign. Could be a pack. We don't know exactly. And then the other is one showing that the I Lieutenant think both Governor, of those are actually sent out by the Hoseman campaign, because okay. if you scroll in, it says paid for by Delbert Hoseman. Okay. Well, that'd be the case. I, I didn't uh, blow it up to take a look at it. Didn't zoom in on it. I just always wonder what the return on the investment is for mailers like that. Or like, I get the return on investment for big road signs, but the little yard signs, unless they're placed on a pretty prominent easement, rarely get seen like you you might get seen by a group from a neighborhood yeah i would agree with you it it feels like there's a lot of money thrown towards things that may or may not get much of a return as far as impact and votes well i can tell you this i I have attended uh, a couple of um, training sessions conducted by consulting organizations that uh, pr- provide counsel on running campaigns. These are just campaign consulting groups. They maintain that direct mail is by far the most effective campaign tool. And, and, and their theory is this. A lot of people just turn the TV off, don't watch TV. And I think the other reality of TV these days is there's a gazillion different sources of content. So it's not like... I just got the three networks that back in the old days. You got all sorts of different um, sources that you can show on your television, display on your television. Streaming services, obviously, are, are one that have become prevalent. And, and the candidates can certainly buy ads on the streaming services, right? Oh, yeah. They're, they're geofenced and linked, and there's, there's algorithms to do that and methods of doing that. I mean, that's how I saw the. Brandon Presley out of him cutting the car in half. I was okay. on YouTube, YouTube watching something completely not related to politics. Very common on YouTube. It knows uh, you know where you're located essentially, and it and it plugs in ads. That's what the people who buy those. That's how they make it work. I mean, that's the financial model wouldn't be viable honestly were it not for that. But and then you got social media. But one thing for sure is everybody's got a mailbox. Everybody's got a mailbox for the most part. And they do check their mail every day. And so they probably throw these things away and maybe spend two seconds looking at them. But it, it does make an impression on them. And, that, and on that basis, you know, the campaign consulting folks say, yeah, that's a good use of your money. Now, it ain't cheap, by the way. Those, are very, those drops are very expensive, depending on how big they are. But they're very expensive. Of course, you've got the production cost which don't come close to what the costs are of actually mailing, dropping. And you've got to have the list as well. You've got to buy that, so there's some expense associated. Jason and Tupelo, same thing. So these are all going out, no surprise, within 
couple of weeks of the election. I got the same ones, and it's, as you see, Rhino, it's the same ones over and over again. And my guess is we're going to see more. I just wonder if the consultants were getting a wide swath of the voting block or if they were just asking the donor class. Because, I mean, this is purely anecdotal, but I've never been swayed by a mailer. Yeah, I I got to say I haven't either, but, you know, the salacious negative mailers, I do look at those because they're kind of entertaining. I'll, I'll speak. I'll spend some time looking at them. Just I spend only enough time to see, yep, that's junk mail. <laughs> yeah, I, and I guess I do because often there'll be some sort of entertaining, almost funny graphics. I've seen that before. Uh, it's you know they try to get them in the compromising facial expressions or unflattering, shall we say, facial expressions and body English and stuff like that. And you got all kinds of tools that allow you to really work magic with that stuff. Um, but those are go- those are going out, and I suspect we'll continue to see those on a regular basis. And they're they kind of build on each other uh, leading up to the election. I have not seen any come out from Chris McDaniel at this point. Uh, that's expensive, and uh, maybe maybe it's a function of money. I think it's just. My observation that his campaign primarily consists of lots of face-to-face group meetings, town hall meetings. I don't know that I'd call them rallies. I think he refers to them. His campaign does as town hall meetings. I did see the schedule. Man, it's aggressive. He's like one or two, sometimes two places a day. Um, and that's like solid for the next several days. I saw that schedule. That, that's pretty much his, his approach, his, his strategy. Whereas I guess the lieutenant governor, and he's doing the same. He's having some, some in-person type events that he's attending. But on the other hand, he's just got more money, and he's investing that in these mailers and radio, television, advertising, et cetera. Where you know the in sponsored ads on social media, though I'm seeing sponsored ads from uh, Chris McDaniel as well. I will say he has a huge social media media following, so he doesn't really need the sponsor. Um, cost doesn't need to, to incur that cost in a lot of cases because when he drops a a social media post, it'll be three thousand people. Um, now that ain't enough to get you elected, but it and then it gets copied and shared and so forth. It kind of has a well. Social media effect. is kind of the the reverse of the mailers. The mailers you've got a list that you know are people that reside in the state that are likely to vote. Yeah. Versus social media. You you get a lot of traction, but it seems like the more traction you get, the the wider the net is cast. So you wind up getting a lot of attaboys and shares and likes and stuff from people that likely don't even reside in the state or wouldn't vote to begin with. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, I do think it it does influence. I do think it draws votes and it has an impact. I but I honestly. I think you've got to to have a multifaceted campaign because there are so many different uh, ways that we just engage 
you know, as a society these days. You can't just say, yep, if I'm on the 6 o'clock news locally in the big markets in our state, people are going to see it. In the old days, that's pretty much true. I mean, everybody, that's where you got your news. That's where you got information. That that was pretty much the, the limited source of entertainment you had. But, man, you look today, you better be all over the place, it would seem, or you're going to have a hard time getting your message out. We're stepping aside for a break here on Middays, coming right back. Stay with us. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone middays from the element well studio don't forget sports talk mississippi they're in nashville again today for the 2023 sec media days we're counting down the start to the start of college football it seems like it's right around the corner for sure sports talk mississippi's coverage of 2023 sec media days is presented by genteel apparel Visit GentileApparel.com. That's one word, G-E-N-T-E-A-L, like the color, GentileApparel.com, to check out their full line of sportswear, including the collegiate collection for Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Adam and Baldwin, he, he uh, sent us photos of his mailers. It's the same one everybody's getting. Uh, all dropped at the same time. He said, to your point, these mailers aren't going to every mailbox on the route, so they are probably just targeting the registered voters. Yeah, they, they buy lists. Uh, you know, there are various organizations that, that um, accumulate and produce mailing lists that you can buy. Uh, and that's true in the private sector as well, if you wanted to do a, a mailing or even an email blast. You can do that. Uh, but, yeah, these campaigns buy these lists, and then they do these mail drops of these these uh, these push cards, as I call them, mail, mailers. What's the size of that, Rhino? Like 11, 10 inches wide or so, 4 or 5 inches high? Usually that's the typical size. Bigger than a traditional 3-5 postcard or something like that. Yeah, we see a lot of that going on for sure, and I bet we're going to continue – to see more. Um, it's enough that it's got Delbert Spook, says Thomas and Greenwood. Well, I, I think any candidate is is wise to take their challengers and their opponents seriously. No doubt about that. And if you've got money that you've raised to run a campaign, you know, when you're facing a, a, a viable competitor, you certainly would have to consider Senator McDaniel viable. He's got uh, name ID. He's run before. He's got a large base of very loyal supporters. He's, like I said, he's traversing the state, various campaign events. Yeah, you're going to take that seriously. And he served in the in the state senate now for 12 years, I believe. So he's not an unknown force whatsoever. And the lieutenant governor is certainly wise to respect that. And he's spending money to uh, keep his seat. That's the bottom line. 
It goes back to the risk analysis we were talking about with picking, do you have good benefits or cheap benefits? Well, in that same vein, when you have a war chest for a campaign, do you spend it all or do you save some for a rainy day? Right. you got to do the risk analysis of, all right, how much can I afford to spend? How much do I need to save? And that's largely driven by, by polls. Oh, yeah. A lot of times they'll they'll be then you got to pay for that. They're conducting polls, using their their campaign funds to do so, and they take a look at the polls, and that will drive their their actions, their spending, their campaign strategy, etc. Jack and Jacktown says, would parties have voter lists from previous election? Uh, parties, I mean that I don't know about that, and and that's it's not something they would share with candidates. Uh, the candidates, of course, would have their 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 organizations would have lists from prior elections, lists they use to uh, to mail to to contact for support for financial support and for, of course, just voting support. But uh, you know, I, I think Rhino, it's likely that you want those to be updated, so you you would be inclined to invest money with organizations that are in that business of uh, creating and maintaining and updating these lists, and you would buy those to make sure you got the most current, I would think, before you do a either an email blast or a mail drop, physical mail drop. Every, t- every time you turn Newsmax on, you see Delbert and Biden's sister, says Jerry in Waynesboro. William and Brandon says, I don't believe a yard sign has ever swayed my boat, and I've never allowed one in my yard. Eric in Philadelphia says, Delbert Hoseman voting signs cover Neshoba County Fairground. Just a function of money. I asked the congressman if he knows about the 2016 U.S. Air Force document on transgender in the military. So, Rhino, I spent some time on that yesterday. And that's just because Judicial Watch did a FOIA request of some of the CRT and gender training in the Air Force, and they have released some of what they obtained in that. And and, then just working through that, which included some PowerPoint presentations, the actual presentations that the uh, members of the Air Force must complete, must endure. And, And in just going through that and doing some further research, I came across this document that was published by, released by the Department of Defense in September 2016. It is a transgender handbook for the U.S. military, all branches of service. It's 72 pages. No, I didn't want to bug the congressman about that today, honestly. Um, I, I will figure out a way, well, I don't have to figure out a way. I will let our delegation know that this exists. I don't know if they know it or not, honestly. I've never heard any of them discuss it, and we actually read from it yesterday some of the excerpts. It's 72 pages, a handbook of how to handle transgenders in the military. I mean everything from if a member of the service is feeling gender dysphoria, how they should approach their commanding officer, to how to how to address and communicate with a commanding officer who is a biological female, is pregnant, identifies as a male. 
It's that kind of stuff. How many is there? I mean, it just can't be that many. But we got a 72-page document that somebody, multiple people, honestly, went through a whole lot of trouble to produce, to accommodate what has got to be a fraction. I'm not talking about the LGBTQIA plus portion. I'm just talking about the T group of that total aggregate. Just the T had 72 pages in a document. It is crazy. Uh, ben from Madison says, expansion of school choice. So this, I appreciate this, Ben. We've, we've before called on our audience to let us know what's on your mind as far as priorities for our state government. Expansion of school choice, income tax or grocery tax elimination, restoring the ballot initiative are just a few things I really want to see done in the next term. I'd also throw in addressing PERS as a top priority. I agree with you, Ben. That, that, and those seem to bubble up to the top as the key issues for most voters, and these are the things we've asked candidates about. We've only had two thus far, one for uh, lieutenant governor and the other for governor that have been on the program. Next week, we'll, we'll have them all while we're at the fair. And we've asked them about those very matters, and, and they've all responded to those. But I, I tend to agree with you, Ben, that these are the things most important uh, to the voters. Uh, if you guys got any other thoughts, send us a message. Let us know. Uh, PERS is certainly something that none of them want to talk about because it's just not a pleasant topic because the solutions aren't very palatable. I would say. Let's see. Um, oh, Donald in Oxford says, I also haven't forgotten the shenanigans McDaniel did on the Senate floor trying to save the Confederate emblem on our state flag. He did what was best for his biggest donor, SCV. I'm not sure who that is. And not what was best for the state of Mississippi with the threats of economic sanctions facing our state. Almost all Republicans were for it. I think it means for changing the flag, yeah. It's absolutely true. He was wanting to keep the old flag. He, he did um, go to the, the well, as I recall, and expressed his, uh, his view on the change, and I think opposed it. But I would argue, Rhino, that's probably consistent with most of uh, his constituents' positions and maybe even, you know, those that uh, have supported him historically from across the state. Sons of Confederate veterans, Thomas and Greenwood informs. Thank you. I wasn't sure. I figured the C was Confederate, but I didn't know what the S and B stood for. He also said, lest we forget that T were added to the protected class of the Civil Rights Act of 64 in 2019. That is true, the trans transgender community. So what's the excuse for the hundred bills that have died in committee since 2001? Oh, he's talking about changing the flag? I guess that's what Thomas is talking about, hundred bills. Excuse? I just think people evolved and they saw it as an opportune time to get something that I think many people
confidentially wanted to occur, but felt like would be politically unpopular and politically a political liability. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming back in the Element Well Studio, Don McVeigh at twelve twenty. It's so awesome. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well studio. We uh, appreciate you joining us today. Uh, so, Thomas and Greenwood, uh, he didn't like my, he didn't agree with my explanation for the flag change. I do believe that uh, many people in our legislature. I do think their position on that evolved. I also believe, Thomas, this is what you're missing, is that public sentiment evolved considerably from, when was it, Rhino, that we had the, the ballot initiative? 2011 or something like that, seems like. It was, it was a while ago, a minute ago. And there's no doubt that public sentiment on that evolved. And lots of third parties ran credible polls in the state that showed that most Mississippians supported changing the flag. Just simple as that. So I would argue that the legislature, the governor, simply enacted legislation that aligned with the majority view of the state. So I understand he says he supported the change. I understand that you always like to point to the NCAA. Okay, so what? It is true. The NCAA threatened. So here's the problem. In our state, unfortunately, I don't like it, most outsiders have a lot of leverage over us. We need them more than they need us. And it would be detrimental to our state for the NCAA to cross us off the list and not sanction events, not allow postseason events and stuff like that, it wouldn't be good. And it's not just the NCAA. I guarantee you, there are uh, prospective businesses. I have been involved in this. I've talked about this before. I cannot disclose the names of those companies because it was all done under non-disclosure agreements, confidentiality agreements. Who brought that up? I mean, that was an issue. It's the reason that they eliminated us from consideration. So it's 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 a pretty extensive list. It's more than just the NCAA. Now, I also believe and understand, you know, you could just get pushed to some point. That, I thought, happened to be reasonable. There are some things would be unreasonable. Like, you're seeing some talk about the fact that um, we restrict abortion or we don't allow transgender or, or gender-affirming surgery, gender-transitioning 
sex change. Let's call it what it is, Rhino. It's castration and mutilation of children's bodies. That's what the hell it is. They want to make it sound so virtuous. Oh, it's gender-affirming care. No, it's not. You're butchering a child's body. So we ban that in our state. There are some who are saying that's an issue for them. Now, that's a much smaller number than the flag, uh, for sure. But it's just crazy. Just crazy. And uh, I think it was a good move. I'm not going to back down from that. I think my view aligns. I know it does with the vast majority of people in this state. It was, it was uh, kind of a no-brainer. And we cannot, we cannot ignore the fact that the George Floyd incident, even though that's a deep, complex subject we ain't getting into, and he was certainly no saint, fact is, what the police officer did to him was inappropriate. And there's no doubt that that was a watershed, pivotal moment in the country, perhaps in the world. Now, the left has run with that and blown it up ridiculously. And public and private sector institutions have gone all in on that, and they've jumped the shark, in my view. I've talked about that numerous times. But see here again, Rhino, it's nuance. I can be for changing the flag, because I think that symbol was inappropriate to be part of our flag. I can be for that, and I can also oppose the ridiculousness of DEI that has just gripped seemingly every major institution in our country. And that's kind of evolved now and taken shape as crazy gender ideology. And I got a story I got to share later from a children's hospital in Oregon, in Portland, that just blew me away. What's going on? It it's literally is butchering small bodies. That's a different deal, in my view, and it's just totally inappropriate. But the left doesn't see it that way. There's no nuance. I hope that we can rise above that as conservatives, as Republicans, and understand the nuance of what's right and what's wrong, what's reasonable, what's unreasonable. That's what, that's what my hope is. We're stepping aside for a break right now. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News because it's top of the hour. We're coming right back with more. At 1220, it's Don McVeigh with the National Federation of Independent Small Businesses. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is the afternoon portion of Middays from the Element Wealth Studio on this hump day. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The Dow up 115 today. The uh, NASDAQ is also up just a little bit fractionally, as they say. 
the S&P, all three. Oh, the NASDAQ just turned negative for the day. I think there's a bit of a drag on a couple of key NASDAQ issues. Um, but I'm looking at it. It's just kind of bouncing around. The old kangaroo is hopping around. A lot of economists now think that we ain't going to have a recession. Seeing a lot of that, um, there, there seems to be no consensus. One thing there does seem to be a consensus about is the Fed raising interest rates again. That's coming up pretty soon. We'll see about that. Uh, a quarter point is what is expected. The president, of course, running around bragging about his Bidenomics plan. He has no idea what he's talking about, it appears. By the way, $39 billion of student loans are poised to be erased based on some subversion and end-around adjustment in the program and the income-driven repayment provisions of the program. It's expected that some 10,000 Mississippians will see their student loan balances canceled. How about that? You know what I do take really serious exception to is the President and White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre trying to justify the forgiveness of student loans on the basis of the PPP loan program that was implemented during the COVID pandemic. And of course, what they point to is the members of Congress who own businesses who accepted PPP loans, Republicans, of course, that were forgiven. They were not paid back. It was just helicopter money provided to them by the federal government that that uh, should justify their support of forgiving and canceling student loan debt. Wow, there couldn't be a, a, a bigger apples and oranges comparison, as the saying goes. It's like apples to baseballs. <laughs> yeah, probably. You see, when you signed up for those student loans, you agreed to pay them back in a contract. You understood. I'm taking this money. I'm accepting this money under the premise that I will pay it back. Whereas the PPP loans, it was pretty much explained up front. Hey, take this money, and if you meet certain criteria, which wasn't a big hill to climb, honestly, we're going to forgive them. That was understood day one. Now, Which part of that was maintaining payroll and keeping people employed, even that, though they weren't working. That was the theory. If you'll just keep these people employed and keep paying them, essentially we'll reimburse you for that. But many organizations, of course, didn't let anybody go. And their staff continued to work, continued to produce, and they really didn't realize any sort of steep decline in revenue or profit. Yet they got this money. I mean, there's countless examples of that. And the left likes to point them out. The right does, too, and that's fine. But that's the program. They didn't do anything illegal. It may have been dumb what the government created. Secretary, Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, he's the architect of that for Donald Trump. It was a Donald Trump program. The same guy who said he would he would balance the budget and retire the debt. But that didn't happen, of course. But But nonetheless, it was all in anticipation that we're all going to be stuck, unable to work, unable to sell. 
consumers would be unable to buy it. It was just the opposite occurred. All that helicopter money came out, and and then the left gets mad because Amazon, the only year they've ever made money in the e-commerce business, the COVID year, well, yeah, because you shut everybody else down, you fools. And then you gave them money to go buy stuff from Amazon. Remember the toilet paper run? Who could forget that? So, yeah, um, what, a, what a terrible comparison, honestly. In, in the one situation, you, you agreed in a contract, in a legal document. In the other situation, you agreed as well, but the other side of the agreement was, by the way, you're not going to have to pay this back if you just sign here, press hard, and meet these simple little requirements, which is just keep running your business the way you are now, which was, I think, just uh, poorly designed and not well thought out. Of course, which the argument from the left and from the Democrats and from Biden and Karine Jean-Pierre proves one of two things. <laughs> Either... They don't have a firm grasp on the economics, or the actual laws at hand, or they think you're just that stupid. I think they're a little of both, probably. Why not put the burden on the colleges, says John and Pontotoc? Well, because they don't have any authority to do so. I mean, that's that's the simple answer to that. The, The government doesn't have authority to say, hey, colleges, you gotta go pay for this debt. Now, somebody could certainly sue the colleges and say, hey, you sold me a bill of goods. Donald Trump got sued for that in his uh, some of his education businesses. But so that's why. And But I will point this out. Um, you know, I, it's also a bit of a stretch when opponents of student debt forgiveness, I being one of them, when they say, it's not fair that those who didn't go to college have to pay for this. Well, the fact is, the reality is, they're not going to send you a bill. The federal government's not going to say, here's a bill for that $450, $500 billion they've sought to, uh, to forgive. Now it's a mere $39 billion. And your taxes aren't going to go up as a result of that. We don't. The only plans that the left has for raising taxes is to keep spending more money uh, it's not that they have plans to take in more revenue and then turn around and, and reduce the deficit and pay down on the debt. There's no plan to do that. It's we need more revenue so we can spend more. Well, that's never stopped you before. Hence the $2 trillion deficits. You don't care about having revenue. You only care about revenue because it's politically expedient to go tax those dirty, greedy, rich people. By the way, latest data from the U.S. Treasury, you know, the this, this constant quip refrain from the president and the Democrats, especially the president, those uh, rich people, they just got to begin to pay their fair share. Well, I did a little analysis a few days ago because we got fresh data from the Department of Treasury. The top 1% in this country paid more taxes. I'm talking about the nominal dollar absolute value of taxes they paid to the federal government. The top 1% paid more than the bottom 95%. 95%. Unbelievable. The top 50%, which is mostly coming from the top 1%, 
They pay 97.5% of the taxes, and the bottom 50% pays 2.5%, yet the left says that ain't fair. I agree, it ain't fair. It's top-heavy. The top income earners are shouldering too much of the burden. Totally agree with that. It's just incredible. So what, the, what forgiveness does, however, do, and you could call this a tax, because it, it, it effectively is, simply from a financial perspective, it does mean inflation. That's the most devious tax of all that we've all endured since this guy's been in office, that he refuses to acknowledge. Real wages are not or down. Nominal wages are less than inflation. Therefore, real wages are down. You don't have as much money as you need to cover the increased cost of living. He doesn't accept that, doesn't even understand it. But so, yeah, for giving $450 billion of student loans, think about what happens. You're not paying your student loan anymore. Now you've got that money, you're going to go spend it. That's going to drive inflation. Yeah, that's essentially a tax. That hurts us all. No doubt about it. Since we are talking about money, why is the state just sitting on billions? Well, it's not exactly billions, but we did experience a uh, $700 million surplus on the heels of a billion-dollar surplus in the last fiscal year. Uh, you know, we have uh, certainly uh, we've maxed out all of our various savings accounts and rainy day fund, etc. I think there's going to be calls for some tax relief for sure. The lieutenant governor actually proposed a one-time rebate, just send money back to people, but that was in lieu of eliminating the income tax, as I recall. We're stepping aside for a break right now, coming back with Don McVeigh, the director of the National Federation of Independent Small Business for Mississippi and Louisiana. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. everyone middays super talk mississippi live from the element well studio joining us now don mcveigh director of the national federation of independent small business for mississippi and louisiana hey don how's it going hey good afternoon going well how are you guys doing doing great so uh give us the update always got to start out with um asking you how these small businesses are faring with respect to getting people to come to work well, you know, that, that's always the hard part. <laughs> that, one, that one seems to not not be going away. Although, yeah. you know, I, I think the bright spot in that conversation is that uh, the number of folks applying for jobs has, has continued to trend in the right direction. Anecdotally, we have small business owners, you know, on the ground telling us they're getting more people actually apply for jobs, which is, you know, 
a, a significant step in the right direction considering where they were, you know, even six months ago. So that's a positive. Um, still challenging, though. Labor quality still struggles, uh, and unfortunately. And, and, you know, and I guess time will tell how, you know, how that continues to, continues to go. Yeah. You know, we've got elections, as you're well aware, here in the state of Mississippi coming up, and then we'll, uh, we'll kick off a new legislative session with uh, some new faces and, and some yeah. that were, are likely to be reelected to their present offices. What is your organization seeking as uh, legislative priorities uh, coming up next year? Yeah, I think we've, you know, we've got to get through this election cycle. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think we're lucky in Mississippi to experience a very uh, pro-business, pro-small business legislature. We, um, we've had great leadership in the House under Speaker Don, uh, and, you know, it appears that uh, Representative White will be the be the next speaker of the Mississippi House, and we um, we know that he's been good to work with and is a, a friend of business and so uh, a great leader, uh, and so that's very positive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of these open seats, I guess we'll see kind of how, what happens after the primary in a couple weeks. Uh, we'll be releasing our voting record, our annual voting record on, uh, on these legislators in the next Two weeks or so, we'll hmm. be getting that out. Um, and again, we're we're fortunate in Mississippi to have so many pro small business legislators uh, there at the Capitol. So we're hoping that you know we get on the other side of this. We've got a great great group to work with, and um, you know, and talk about things that we can be proactive about. You know, one of the couple of the things that have gotten done in Mississippi in the past couple of years, you know, the reduction of the individual income tax. You know, continuing to push that that rate further down, especially as the state continues to see um, huge surpluses, which is great. It gives an opportunity to catch up on uh, backdated, need, backlogged needs there in the state. So surpluses are good in that regard, not to grow government, but to take care of the needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then look at cutting taxes because, again, those surplus dollars are taxpayer dollars after all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we'll continue to look at pushing that, uh, whether it's a full elimination or just a, or a continued reduction. I think that's the step in the right direction in a way that Mississippi can continue to be competitive. Okay. What about on the inflation front? What What are you hearing? We're, we're seeing certainly on a national level uh, data that is tracked by the various government agencies shows that inflation has moderated fairly significantly yeah. over the year, and, and uh, the PPI is down as well uh, as the CPI. Uh, are, are your members, and, and are they talking about seeing some relief there, or do they still feel the heat of inflation? Yeah. No, it, one of the bright spots of of our survey um, was was really good to see. You know, the number of small business owners that are reporting having to raise their prices uh, fell to the lowest level since May of 2021. Wow! So I'm sorry, March of 2021. I apologize. So um, about what two years ago. So that was really a bright spot, I think, in um, this past month survey of their, you know, kind of optimism and where things stand. Uh, we haven't seen that number <clears throat> number drop. It's still it's still not great. Right. <laughs> but it's uh, but the fact that they're uh, small business owners are telling us they're not having to uh, having to increase prices at the rate that they were to keep up with inflation is is, is an indicator that it's uh, trending down and that's that's a great that's a positive thing. 
What about interest rates, Don? The, co the cost of borrowing up dramatically over the last uh, year. Uh, businesses that are looking to expand or make uh, investment in, in new plant and equipment, if they finance that, like a lot of businesses do, I mean, that's a significant increase in, in the cost of those activities. What are you hearing? Yeah, I think our members really are not, you know, they're, they're looking at, you know, is this the right time to, you know, increase their inventory or invest in, invest in equipment. And we're not seeing those numbers as high as, you know, if, if they were higher, it would certainly be the indicator of a, of a strong economy. Uh, so we're, we're not seeing that. But, but we do see, you know, we do see some planned investments or some planned, you know, increase in inventory. But, again, the numbers remain weak there. Uh, you know, it, it's it's still it's still a challenge, and um, you know when you're having to, you know continue to raise compensation. Uh, we have a net thirty six percent of owners reporting that they have mm. raised compensation. Um, so you still have that, and then you still have the inventory. I mean, the um, inflation piece. You know, it makes it a challenge to really look and say, okay, how do I want to grow my business? So. Maybe if we can continue to see these uh, inflationary numbers continue to trend down, uh, maybe by the fourth quarter things will improve and you'll start to see an increase in, uh, in things like equipment purchases and, uh, you know, increases in inventory. It's a huge indicator. Like, you know, I, I just say, I mean, a great example of what Mississippi did, you know, <clears throat> was the passage of the full expensing bill uh, this past right. session, you know, right. so that if you do buy a piece of equipment at the state level, you can, you know, go ahead and de deduct that, which is a great, really great uh, way to and, and encourage investment. Right. Unfortunately, we lost the full benefit, the full 100% expensing, as that's being phased out. That was part of the uh, the Trump tax cuts, and of course, uh, there's no way to to get that through the Democrat-controlled Senate to make those permanent and return to the 100% expensing rules. And, of course, the president... We're working hard on that in D.C., uh, I'll tell you. We have uh, with the Main Street Recover, uh, Main Street Certainty Act is something that we have, fi we have filed in uh, D.C. We've got a lot of great support. I know Congressman Ezell and Congressman um, Guest have already signed on to be co-authors of the bill. And, I mean, you know, things like that would go a long way uh, because in 2025 it does completely roll off, and we need to get that in place before that that gets here. Yeah, it's, it's huge. You know that. It's huge. Yeah. And, and I can tell you, as a business owner, it was, it was critical both uh, from the perspective of our internal purchases, but because I sold equipment, that was a big thing too to the buyers. You know, they they took advantage of that, and that often would be a factor in just making business happen. So I, I don't think the, unfortunately, the president, the Democrats, and Congress don't don't consider that and how how big of an impact that has just on overall economic activity. And it's something I'm watching when you're seeing the decline of capital investment. That's usually a pretty strong harbinger of a recession around the corner. I think the saving grace there is we've got very low unemployment. People are working; they got money to spend. That's probably the offset of all this, right? And I mean, you know, we we've been talking to our members about this for a while. You know, we've got ninety-one percent of our members saying they support permanently extending you yeah. know, these provisions that are expiring from the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, and it's just such a, because it's been such an important tool. I mean. You know, you could see the impact to the economy that it had right away, and the fact that it could be rolling off 
may may or not, you know, that uncertainty just makes it harder for businesses to make those choices about, well, do like you said, do I make this investment now or do I wait until a time when it seems like it makes more sense for my bottom line? No doubt. What what about the other topic that uh, you and I talked about certainly during the pandemic? That's just supply chain constraints. What are you hearing there? That seems to have have uh, really yeah. uh, been relieved quite a bit. It has. That has. <clears throat> that's been really. I, I don't know that it's completely negligible, but uh, it's certainly not a widespread like it was. So you're not seeing the challenges as much in the supply chain piece. Uh, you know, we still have owners reporting sometimes. You know, depending on what what kind of uh, in, uh, industry they're in. But really, that's been been much better, and so we're glad to see that. Of course, you know. Gas prices had a fact, played a factor in that as well, and luckily those have uh, come down and remained down, you know, considering where they were last summer and the summer before that. Yeah, seems like we've got a much stable environment uh, than we did a short uh, year, year and a half ago, so I guess that's, that's good news there. But I, I'm certainly glad to hear you guys are working hard on making those cuts permanent, the immediate expense, and I think that's a critical deal, and, and always appreciate you coming on and, and giving us an update. Thanks a lot, Dawn. Thank you for having me. You got it. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Wealth Studio on this hump day. It is indeed, and we appreciate you joining us. So, this is just hot off the press here, Rhino. The whistleblower in the Hunter Biden tax case, the IRS special agent who is blowing the whistle, has revealed their identity. It is Joseph Ziegler. Now, you talk about complicating things for the Democrats. He is a gay man, a Democrat who is married to a man. And he's the one blowing the whistle here. He said, quote, Hunter Biden should have been charged with a tax felony and not only the tax misdemeanor charge. Wow. Much respect to this individual that is not letting their politics influence their work here. Basically saying, and this is the way I interpret this, I don't care if this is Hunter Biden, this is the vice president's son. He broke the law. 
Yeah, if you or I tried to expense hookers and blow, I don't think we'd get a slap on the wrist. Correct. He alleges political misconduct throughout the Hunter Biden investigation. Wow. A gay Democrat with more than a dozen years serving within the IRS's criminal investigative division. That's incredible. So, if they tried to discredit, they being the Democrats, discredit and attack this person, can we say they're homophobic? Wouldn't that fly? I mean, following their logic, yes. Yeah, right. You're only doing it because they're gay. Isn't that what they say to us? Like, the facts don't matter. The case doesn't matter. The issues are irrelevant. It's always got to be these physical traits and characteristics. In this case, sexual orientation. Well, that's exactly right. Oh, you're homophobic. You don't believe this man. You're trying to discredit them. Good luck. Apparently, any time the IRS investigators wanted to ask questions related to President Biden, they were told, quote, that's going to take too much approvals. We can't ask those questions, end quote. <laughs> right. But, of course, as you say, if it were you or I or Donald Trump or Donald Trump's offspring, they'd have that approval in about 10 seconds. <laughs> And then an army of IRS agents would descend upon the home. That's just the truth. This is what aggravates people. This is Banana Republic-like. He is expected to explain the, quote, this would be the whistleblower, the, quote, corrosion of ethical standards and the abuse of power that threaten our nation end quote, which he has witnessed. Wow. Much respect. Hats off to this individual for coming forward and breaking through the logjam of lies and cover-up and just telling the damn truth. And that's what he said before you know, he, he, he uh, made that statement, I guess on a confidential fashion, before revealing his identity, uh, that the Americans just need to know the truth. That's what he said. Well, yeah. The American people deserve to know the truth. That is the exact quote. Agree. Absolutely. Wow, this is just going to be fascinating. Incredible. Ben from Madison says, wow, Dems are going to have a really tough time discrediting this guy. Totally agree. Ben, that's... I mean, what are they going to do if they can't pull the race card and the... It would be a lot easier for them if this was some known white supremacist, you know, that was there on January 6th or in Charleston or had a rap sheet of Proud Boys or something like that, KKK affiliation. That's what they want because they believe that everybody who opposes uh, President Biden and this complete wrongdoing, they're crooks. They're grifters is what they are. Honestly, the student loan deal is a grift at the end of the day. Somebody said that, just buying votes. I agree, no doubt. Here's what bothered me. The White House press secretary yesterday said that we owe student debt relief to these borrowers. Her words, oh, we owe it to them. Huh? How upside down is it? What kind of bizarro world is that? 
You take the loan out, and we owe you cancellation, erasure of that debt? That's insane. Of course, they take the same position when they see the crooks. They just pilfer, shake down businesses. Oh, they, we owe it to them. You've seen this in some cities, the retail stores? They're putting toothpaste in cases. Little clear plastic secure boxes for toothpaste. Moral decay, and the Democrats are complicit. They are the ones that look the other way, attempt to justify and excuse this sort of immoral behavior. I'm sick of it. I think Americans are sick of it. Yeah, I agree. Wow, wow, wow. What about the Mississippi legislature that legislator, pardon me, that had to resign recently? What's that about? Three hundred thousand. I don't know. Oh, was this the um Oh that I I think that was a tax situation, right? Where they've we talked about it. The, yeah, it was uh, Representative Earl Banks. Right, right. Just failed to report some income, half a million dollars of income. That uh, was the the allegation. I don't know that there's yeah, been. He pled any... guilty. I think the sentencing isn't going to be until mid to late August. Yeah, but he does face. I think the maximum is three years in jail and. A Quarter of a million dollar fine? Seems like that's right. Yeah, and that's for 500 grand. And Hunter Biden, we're talking about millions, tens of millions. How do I go about getting my mortgage forgiven, says Tiffany and Carrollton? Well, you'd have to have that discussion with your, your lender, is <laughs> what I would suggest. In this case, it's the federal government. And, of course, the other big issue with the student loan Forgiveness is that it doesn't address the core problem, which is just the precipitous rise of the cost of college. Of course, I heard Bernie Sanders again yesterday, and somebody else, maybe it was Liz Warren, once again calling for the uh, free university, free college. Federal government would pay for four year school. They're calling for that again. Something else that's uh, brewing, this is brand new as far as. This version of it, and that's two senators on opposite sides of the aisle are proposing a ban on U.S. lawmakers or executive branch members owning stock, individual issues, individual shares. Senator Kristen Killebrand, the Democrat from New York, I think she ran for president last time, didn't she? And Josh Hawley, Republican from Missouri, they are, are wanting to impose stiff penalties on government officials, including members of Congress, who violate the rules on stock ownership, essentially just barring them from owning individual stocks. They want them to own mutual funds and just broad industry uh, index funds, but would uh, their legislation would prohibit them from owning stocks in individual companies, even in blind trust. How about that? I don't know if this thing will pass, but we will see. And then you've got, is it, who is it? It's Chris Murphy, right? Yeah, Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut introducing a groundbreaking bill, the National Strategy for Social Connection Act. What the hell? 
It creates a federal office to combat the growing epidemic of American loneliness. <laughs> it will develop anti-loneliness strategies and foster best practices to promote social connection. Mike in Gulfport says, I hope someone is filing a suit to stop this last loan kill attempt by Biden. I think you'll see it, but Mike, i got to tell you, I think it'll fail. And here's why. If you go back and look at the opinion, uh, what uh, the majority opinion, that essentially handed down a decision that prohibits the president from the $450, $500 billion forgiveness program. It was rooted in this major question doctrine, and I'm not sure $39 billion rises to the level of a major question. They're just simply making some modifications to the current program. The problem was, Rhino, when they put the program in place, once again, they gave too much damn power to the agency. And so the agency does have a great deal of power in just changing the terms of the loan. And I think the courts would say, yeah, they're within their authority to make these changes on the income-driven repayment program. That's the problem with that. It's a little different than the last just broad stroke of a pen, forgive $500 billion. We are coming back with a final segment here of Middays in the Element Well Studio. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. Well, it's you and me, baby. No one else we could trust. We'll say nothing to no one. No how we bust and never crack. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday. Rich in Biloxi says, you can get free college. It's called the GI Bill. By the way, speaking of the GI Bill and the military, (laughs) you know, Rachel Levine, the transgender Biden assistant secretary for health, she says that uh, she, of course, is a big proponent of making available to children uh, puberty blockers, hormone treatments for gender dysphoria and, of course, gender transition surgery. She says these hormones can help children avoid, quote, the wrong puberty. <laughs> Meanwhile, <It's>... <laughs> Richard Levine <laughs> has been quoted on the record saying he's happy that he didn't transition until after he had kids or he wouldn't have been able to father his children. Ah, Okay. Yeah, that little a little known fact. Sounds <laughs> like Richard's crazy. <laughs> Richard. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh Richard. So the whistleblower Neil from McGee says, Hope the whistleblower has enough money to hire security. Maybe they won't get suicided. If you missed it, folks, we just passed on. And by the way, it's testifying now. Just started. In front of the House uh, committee there, chaired by Representative James Comer. Um, from Kentucky, who's been overseeing this uh, this investigation for some time. And so the whistleblower, uh, Mr. Ziegler, who has revealed his identity, is a gay Democrat married to a man. Made that clear. But also says people need to know the truth. And this entire Hunter Biden investigation 
was uh, highly politicized, shall we say, and that he he should be charged with tax felony and not a simple misdemeanor. That, of course, based on the amount of the evasion. Tax evasion is illegal. Tax avoidance is not. If I heard that once, I heard it a hundred times in income tax class when I took it, by the way, in 1980. I also took advanced tax, uh, corporate and more advanced. That was a, a graduate school course. But Dr. Milam, who taught income taxes when I was a young accounting student, he would say that a lot. Seriously. Income tax evasion is illegal. Income tax avoidance is not. The problem here with Mr. Biden, honestly, Hunter, I think his dad's involved as well. He evaded income taxes. He committed tax felony. And he needs to pay the damn price. These trans crap is so screwed up, gives me a headache. It is kind of hard to keep up with, and it's just unbelievable uh, how, how wrapped up we've gotten in all of that stuff. Rhino, will you tell the folks? Oh, by the way, someone asked you to do your, your uh, now famous uh, Bernie Sanders impression. I'm Bernie Sanders. Give me all your money. <laughs> will you tell the good folks? What, you did a little research on what it cost to buy a mailing list. We were talking about oh, that yeah. earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at it, and it's, this is all averaged out. It's a, a price estimate. So in the Magnolia State, it'll run you around $1,000 to get a list of registered voters and the information that comes with it. But we're a little on the lighter end as far as cost. I mean, you look at other states like Wisconsin, it'll cost you $12,500. Or California, where it'll cost you fifteen grand, Or out in Nevada. $20,000 for a list of voters, but that's still not the most expensive one. Most expensive state to get a list of registered voters from is our neighboring state of Alabama at $37,000 for a list of voters. Totally perplexing. Meanwhile, really big is. states like New York, Ohio, Washington, Massachusetts, Indiana, Florida, zero dollars. Cost you nothing. That's amazing. Truly is. Well, oh man, I don't know where all that's going, but I think we're going to see, uh, likely to see some more mail drops in the state of Mississippi leading up to the election in a short uh, couple of weeks, August the 8th. We all go to the polls and vote. If you can't be there on Election Day, surely hope that you will vote absentee. You can do that in the state of Mississippi. There's a deadline on that. I can't remember when it is. We'll look that up and talk about that. Uh, but we are out of time here on the program today. We appreciate you joining us. We are back with you tomorrow in the Element Wealth Studio. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.
Mississippi Media Production.